0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10am service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us. And check out our website at mpbc.org.au Good morning. So, I'm doing the reading today. Um, I've got two passages. The first one, 1 Peter chapter 4 if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. The second passage, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of Blessed are you when people insult you persecute, you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Micah. It's having a reboot here of our system if you're watching online. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Well, it's, uh, it's difficult at times being a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Uh, I, find, I found it is anyway. <laughs> uh, in fact, when my sister became a Christian in her, in her mid-teens, I can actually remember giving her a really hard time for doing that. Uh, we didn't come from a Christian family. And so uh, when she became a Christian, it was quite a statement to all of us. And uh, I remember teasing her and mocking her about her commitment. In fact, I remember causing her to cry one day. At the bottom of our driveway, by just saying something nasty to her about her new faith, uh, you know, there was um, the strange thing is that there was actually nothing to dislike about my sister uh, and her new faith, uh, her becoming a follower of Jesus. She was a, she was actually enthusiastic without uh, without being fanatical. She was motivated to share her experience without being a salesperson. And her life had definitely changed. Prior to becoming a follower of Jesus, she was regularly quite nasty to me, which of course I never deserved. In fact, once while her friends were over at her house, she offered me a cup of cordial. And I thought that uh, that was very kind of her, if not unusual. I remember sitting down and, and drinking that glass of cordial in front of her and her friends while they looked on in subdued silence. Once I had finished the glass of cordial, my sister declared to me, as she and her friends ran out of the room, that she'd made the cordial with water from the toilet. So when my sister became a follower of Jesus, her life changed, and her attitude and her behavior towards me changed. And I was very thankful for that, I can tell you. But despite that change, I hassled her, I ridiculed her, I openly mocked her about her new faith. And the only reason I could see that I did that was because, um, because her new life confronted mine. It confronted me about my life. You see, she'd changed, but I hadn't. Perhaps you've experienced similar attitudes towards you for being a Christian. It may, may include ridicule, mocking, maybe you felt that you've been dealt, dealt with unfairly at times. It may, it may also have made you then reluctant to share your faith with others or to, to even mention to other people that you're a Christian at school or at work or in a sporting club. A couple of years ago when uh, Wendy and I uh, just moved into the area where we live, I won't mention the suburb because we're online, but uh, we went for Christmas drinks at the community association in that suburb. And uh, while I was there, I got talking to a woman. And, uh, you know, it was just a casual sort of conversation. And then she asked me what I did. And I said, oh, well, I, I'm actually a lecturer at a, uh, in intercultural studies at, a, at the Baptist Theological College. Oh, it was like I'd lit a firework. And then so for the next 15 minutes, she basically told me very frankly why she hated the church. And... Uh, And how shocking it was that I was actually a Christian in this day and age. And I'd only met her for the first time that night. And so these sorts of conversations, they can actually leave you a bit like a smouldering wreck, can't they? And also they can actually make you reluctant to, uh, to mention again to anyone that you're a Christian in case you get that same sort of response again. This means that it's common for people these days to be anonymous Christians at school and at work. But we may think that being rejected, insulted or persecuted for being a Christian is only a modern phenomenon, but it's not. In fact, it's actually been an issue for Christians uh, that they face ever since the time of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Peter tells believers in 1 Peter 4, he says, says tells them not to be surprised at the fiery trials they're going through, as if something strange were happening to them. You see, it was something that was happening back then as well. And so the trials that Peter's talking about, they can include pushback, insults, unfair treatment. They can even include violence and imprisonment due to following Jesus, as we know and we hear from people in other countries. A word that's commonly used to describe that sort of treatment in the Bible is the word persecution, uh, which may for us sound a bit extreme. But there are many sort of shapes and sizes to that. And so it can involve ridicule by family and friends. It can involve people avoiding you, not including you, not inviting you to activities. Uh, And it can also include perhaps being overlooked for promotion while others have experienced imprisonment, torture, and even death for publicly stating that they followed Jesus. And so today... Jesus has, has actually something to say to us about rejection, suffering and persecution in the last beatitude that we're looking at this, uh, this week, which says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so at first glance, this beatitude uh, is a bit of a surprise, isn't it? You know, if I were Jesus, I wouldn't have finished my eight beatitudes my eight big statements outlining the attitudes behaviors and uh, and characteristics of the kingdom with this one i mean let's face it it's it's not a good look is it i mean i I don't know what he was thinking everyone knows that the last statement in a campaign should be highly motivational shouldn't it is this one motivational Mm, i'm not sure let's we'll have to wait and see This statement seems to be, at first glance, a deal-breaker, doesn't it? Not a deal-maker. But let's break down what Jesus is saying here in this final statement, this final beatitude, and try and understand why Jesus would say that being persecuted for following him would be a positive thing that we could actually even rejoice in. Can you imagine that? The first thing that we need to clear up, though, is what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven okay there's nothing good about suffering or being rejected or being persecuted they only become a blessing and something actually to rejoice about when they occur for a reason and that reason that Jesus says is the result of righteousness and so this is why we need to when we read the scripture we need to read and And try and understand the verse in full. And this is why Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so, what is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here? And the very next verse, fortunately, this is the only beatitude in which it occurs. Jesus actually gives an explanation for it. He says, He basically repeats what he said in the beatitude in that sort of Language, that poetic language, but he actually repeats it in really plain language and says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so it's because of Jesus that people are blessed when persecuted. It's a life, it's living a life in pursuit of Jesus, a life characteristic by the Beatitudes that we've just been looking at, which are the cause for the persecution. But also for the blessing. You see, but our modern ears, even this explanation doesn't bring us much relief, does it? <laughs> I'm sure that none of you are sitting there thinking, oh, okay, yeah, because of following Jesus, yeah, okay, I'm willing to face some rejection and some persecution, yeah, sure. Hands up if that's you. No hands. As modern people, we're not used to suffering. Our whole way of life is geared up to reduce suffering to the point we actually, we actually don't even like hearing about other people's suffering, do we? In case somehow it jumps over and touches us. Oh, don't, I don't want to hear that. We also don't like the idea of, that suffering is somehow connected to following Jesus. We we follow Jesus to avoid suffering, don't we? We, we uh, Instead, we want what we want is we want God to reduce our suffering. We want God to increase our wealth, to give us good health, to give us what we desire. But here in this Beatitude and many other parts of the Bible, suffering, rejection and persecution are actually said to be part and parcel of following Jesus. They, they were what Jesus experienced in his life, and what he's telling us here is that they will be experienced by those who follow him as well. Two of the most influential people in the early church, Peter and Paul, talk of suffering and rejection as been common experiences for following Jesus. In, uh, in 2 Timothy 3:12, Paul says, "All who desire a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though as though something strange were happening to you. But Jesus' phrase about suffering because of me needs also to be clarified, doesn't it? Because we don't want to go off on a tangent there and think, well, you know, that means I can do whatever I want as a Christian. You see, Jesus doesn't mean that it is blessed to be rejected or persecuted for being an obnoxious Christian or for being a raving religious fanatic or for being a Bible basher to your neighbours. Instead, Jesus' phrase, because of me, means, means having Jesus' attitudes, Jesus' values, seeking Jesus' goals to be fulfilled. And so this then goes to the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be a Christian. You see, what is it that distinguishes you as a Christian? What is it? Is it your morals? Is it that you don't get drunk? Is it that you don't tell lies or don't swear, except for when you bash your thumb, like I do? No, because there are other people, other People in other religions who actually do all that in a much better way than we do. I can tell you that. Jesus has told his followers what it is that's actually meant to distinguish them. And we've heard them over the past few weeks in these seven beatitudes that we've looked at. You see, the the distinguishing part, the distinguishing characteristics of Jesus, and the distinguishing characteristics of the of the people who follow Jesus are these. It's to be poor in spirit which is to have an accurate view of yourself. It's, to, it's, to, it's knowing that you're, inherent, that you're not inherently good and that you are in need of grace. It's mourning your own brokenness and the brokenness of the world and acknowledging that we need God's help. It's having a desire to be characterized by Jesus' humility, by Jesus' gentleness and trust, His meekness. It's thirsting and hungering for a life that is pleasing to God because you know, you know that nothing else will satisfy you. It's, it's to live constantly extending mercy to others because you've grasped how amazing, yet how even unreasonable that mercy is to you. It's to be pure in heart, which is actually to seek to live honoring in a way that honors God both in public and in private in the same way. It's being a peacemaker. It's by accepting that God calls us into partnership with him in this world. And so these Beatitudes that we've been looking at, these, these paint a portrait of Jesus. If you want to know what Jesus, who Jesus is, look at those Beatitudes. They describe who he is and what he's like and what he's on about in the world. But guess what? They're also a portrait that Jesus is actually painting of you and I, and so the life that's that's described in these beatitudes is no ordinary life. <laughs> They're radical uh, values and attitudes, and they stand out because they are in direct contrast with the values and attitudes and characteristics that are actually promoted and lived out in the world. And so this may cause you to think, "Oh, well, okay." If I live like Jesus, then people would be attracted to Jesus and they'll want to live that life as well. And in many ways, that's true. But we need to remember that even when Jesus was on earth, people were attracted to him and repelled by him at the same time, weren't they? So one day, while the Apostle Peter was washing his fishing nets by the lake, after he'd been fishing... He was listening to Jesus give a sermon. So Peter liked what he heard. But at the end of the sermon, Jesus asked Peter to take his boat out into the deep water and to put down his nets again. But guess what? Peter had been fishing all night and he was really tired. And he'd fished all night and hadn't caught a single fish. But it was hard. It's hard to refuse Jesus. So he did what he was asked to do. And he got in his boat and he pushed out into deep water and he let down his nets and the moment he did that, his nets were filled miraculously with these fish. And Peter was shocked and amazed by this. And he hauled, as he hauled them in, he was confronted by what Jesus had done. He was confronted by who Jesus was and is. And so when he got, got back to shore, he then came back to shore and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and told him to go away from him because he was a sinful man. Why did Jesus do that? Or why did, uh, why did Peter do that, rather? Why didn't he just come up to Jesus grinning and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll sign, I'll sign here. I'll sign up to follow you. He, he told Jesus to go away from him because he was confronted by Jesus' life. The more Peter saw of Jesus, the more he was confronted by him. And this led him to want to push Jesus away. And so this is also what happens today when people encounter Jesus in you. When, when, they, when people see you pursuing Jesus, seeking to live a life that's pleasing to God, they'll be attracted by that, but they'll also be confronted at the same time because it raises questions about their own life. You see, if you go through life, Mourning your own brokenness and the and the world's brokenness, it will be noticed. Because the world does the opposite. At school, university, work, people waste people boast about things. They boast about how wasted they got on the weekend and how they scored and how they got laid at such and such a club. I remember when I was an apprentice electrician, I can remember a tradesman coming up to sitting down with me at the pub one day, because They used to go to the pub after work on a Thursday night. And he said to me, Dix, he said, I don't trust anyone who doesn't drink. I mean, what does that mean? It makes no sense. But a life lived in pursuit of Jesus is confronting the people who are living a life in pursuit of other things. If you pursue self-control then your life will speak against excess in eating, drinking and sex. If you seek to live simply with contentment, your life will be a challenge. It will challenge greed. If you practice humility, your life will highlight the pride in others. If you seek to show compassion and be merciful where it's not deserved, you'll, you'll, you'll actually expose the intolerance of others. And if you're spiritually minded, you will highlight the shallowness of those who think that, 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 that all there is in life is earth and bread. A life lived in pursuit of Jesus is meant to make a difference in your life. If, you, if Jesus doesn't impact your life, if actually no one notices that you are different because you follow Jesus, then you actually need to ask yourself a really hard question. Am I really pursuing Jesus? That's the question I ask you today. Are you pursuing Jesus? Are you seeking to live a life that is pleasing to God? You see, you're not made to drift through life as an unrecognisable Christian. Just as in life you can't take two paths... You can't also follow Jesus and follow the patterns of the world at the same time. You see, if you do that, you'll always feel compromised. You'll, always, you'll never be happy and content. The rejection, suffering and persecution that you'll experience, from, you'll, you'll experience from following Jesus, they're real. I'm not going to sugarcoat that this morning. There's no getting around that. And Jesus is not pulling any punches this morning in this beatitude. It can actually even lead to imprisonment and death. This is what happened to Mariam Rostampur and Marizaya Amirizadeh. Spent all week trying those names. They're two Iranian women who became followers of Jesus while they're actually on a trip to Turkey. They could have just stayed in Turkey where they had become followers of Jesus uh, and, um, and lived anonymously, or they could have just gone back to Iran and hidden their faith. But they decided that they wanted other Iranians to hear about Jesus, because Jesus had changed their lives. So they went back to Tehran and started handing out Bibles to people throughout the city, all over the suburbs, and eventually they were arrested and they were jailed for nine months for doing that. And so the prison that they were put in was notorious for people being raped and, uh, and uh, for violence against inmates. And in their time in prison, they were threatened and with torture and execution because they wouldn't denounce their faith in Jesus as Lord. But even in prison, that didn't slow them down. <laughs> they chose to pursue Jesus And so they talked to other inmates about the hope and the joy and the peace they had in him and the promise that they knew was for them that was coming in the next life. You see, Jesus outweighed any suffering that they were experiencing at that time, even while they were in prison. Friends, these women knew that there is nothing more valuable than a relationship with Jesus. For them, Jesus was worth everything, even persecution, rejection and hardship. And so Jesus likens following him to or, or entering into the kingdom as his kingdom in, under his reign and rule. He, 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 he likens it to finding treasure in a field that once discovered causes you to do everything you can to obtain that field so you can get the treasure You see, you pull out every stopper. You go through incredible hardship and suffering to have that treasure, to have Jesus in your life. And once once you've gained Jesus in your life, then you do everything you possibly can all over again so that others will experience that as well because the treasure is so valuable. Friends, is following Jesus like finding treasure in a field for you, that you would do everything in your power to obtain it and to enable other people to encounter it as well. But notice what else Jesus says here in this beatitude. He doesn't just say that we'll be blessed if we are persecuted for living a life that is pleasing to him. Jesus always just takes it one step further, doesn't he? He ramps it up and he tells people to rejoice when they are insulted and when people are, act badly towards them. Because he says that the persecution reveals, it actually brings out, it reveals the genuineness of discipleship. Peter says this in 1 Peter 4, he says, If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, the worst thing that can happen to you is not being rejected or being insulted or even treated harshly for following Jesus, for pursuing Jesus. The worst thing that can happen is if your life doesn't raise any questions at all for anyone. Because that would mean that there's nothing of Jesus shining in you. But rejection, insults, persecution are not the last word on the matter either. You see, you don't know what's going on in people's lives when they actually reject you and insult you for pursuing Jesus. Because as I mentioned already, people are both attracted and repelled when they see someone who is seeking to live a life that is pleasing to God. You see, I pushed back against my sister's faith for a whole year. I teased her, I ridiculed her, I mocked her. I did this because I was annoyed that she had found something that really energized her, that she had discovered something that had given her meaning and direction and values. I was annoyed that someone, Jesus, had changed the orientation of her life and that she was being transformed in this caring, kind, loving person. She was being transformed to everything I was not. I thought that in time that her new faith would fade but it didn't and even under my relentless campaign against her nothing changed and it was in the midst of my rejecting mocking and antagonizing her that guess what I encountered Jesus myself and this is often the way it works friends you don't know what's happening in people's lives do you? in the opposition that they have against you. And so this is why being persecuted for righteousness is actually a blessed state. And it's why we should rejoice, because it means that we're living lives that are pleasing to God and that God is actually working through our lives and actually Jesus is shining through, even when it seems like he's not. Something's going on. Friends, What you're experiencing at school, at uni, at work, is of no surprise to Jesus. He knows. He knows. He even told his disciples, while on earth, in this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, he said, I've overcome the world. And this is good news. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave you to face these problems on your own. He's not calling you to just suck it up, you know, get on with it. When, when Jesus told his followers about the trouble that it was ahead of them, he also promised at the same time, in the same, same sort of uh, story, that, or the same incident that he was telling them about uh, trouble, he's promised that he would send them his spirit, who will guide them in all truth and encourage them when they're under pressure. Friends, the answer to your problem is not to retreat into a private faith or to give up on your, faith, on your own faith in Jesus because of opposition. The only good way forward is to embrace Jesus more fully and to seek his kingdom values and attitudes for yourself because only this will lead to a flourishing life. I once read a story about a Maasai tribesman from Tanzania who explained what, what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow him. And he used a hunting illustration to explain it because he was a hunter. He used a hunting illustration to explain what true belief in Jesus looks like. He said, some people, believing is like when men go hunting with guns. He says they shoot an animal from a distance When people hunt with guns, the hunter's eye and finger are the only parts of them that take part in the hunt. This is is how he said some people believe and follow Jesus. They're from a distance and just only with part of them involved. But he said to really believe and to follow Jesus, he said, is to hunt in the way that a lion hunts its prey. See, the lion's nose and eyes and ears pick up on the prey. And the lion's legs give the lion speed to catch it. And all the power of the body is involved in leaping onto the animal. And as the animal goes down under the weight of the lion, the lion envelops its prey with its front paws, front legs, and pulls the animal close to itself which is counterintuitive. It makes, it makes that animal part of itself. It's counterintuitive because those animals often have horns and hooves and teeth that, uh, that can uh, injure and kill. But the only way that the lion actually avoids being injured and killed by the animal that it's actually hunting and taking down is by totally committing itself to that act of pulling that animal Into itself. You see, a full embrace of the animal, and this is how Jesus calls us to believe and to follow him today. You see, a full embrace of Jesus is actually the only way to survive and flourish as a follower of Jesus. You can't have a partial embrace of Jesus. Friends, how are you following Jesus today? Are you seeking to follow him? From a distance? Are you seeking to only use your finger and your eye? Friends, only a full embrace of Jesus, of his attitudes and values and characteristics, will lead to a life of flourishing that will enable you to withstand the painful attacks in life. Jesus invites you today to come to him and trust him, and his promise is that he'll take care of you. Friends, as we commit together to living lives that are pleasing to God, we need to encourage and support one another in doing so. And when we do this, we'll strengthen and encourage each other and, that, and the love and support that we show each other will actually be, witness, be a witness to the community around us, to the love that God has placed in us. As the band comes up to, uh, to play the final song, I want to encourage you today... That there's nothing better than Jesus, and that following and following Him and seeking to live a life that is pleasing to Him, it's actually worth every rejection, every insult, every hardship. And that God can actually turn these times of pain and hardship into times of joy. In which we see Him being glorified and we see other people encountering Jesus through them. As we sing this final song, I want to encourage you to. To use it as time of reflection, to tell Jesus that you want to embrace Him fully, as a lion embraces his prey, and ask Him to refresh you if you're feeling dry, uninspired. I want you to encourage and ask Jesus to refresh you through His Spirit this morning, so that you can live out the life that He's placed in you, with joy and with peace and with hope and with courage in the weeks and months ahead. Will you do that this morning? That's my prayer this morning. Use this song as you do that. Thanks, band.